you know, this has been a great blessing. I'm glad I'm, glad I'm uh, standing here in front of you this morning. I'm glad, Pastor Chad, I passed your test. I hope, uh, I hope uh, this will be good. I know Genesis is a great book, especially chapter 15 is a dear and near chapter to me, and I love to talk to you about that this morning. You know, from this platform, week after week, uh, there has been so much blessing poured out, amen? Whether it be music, whether it be story, whether it be preaching, excellent pastoral team, even on live, you know, we have nothing but the best, and I thank God for that. And my family and I are very, very happy to be here and call this our, our church family. You know, somebody asked me after seeing in the bulletin my name, oh, do you preach? I said, uh, yeah, for the first 25 years of my life, all I did was longing and preparing myself to be a preacher. That's all I wanted to be. You know, knowing that my father was a pastor, my grandfather was a pastor, and they came through some tough, hard conversion in life and being a pastor, and uh, I said, that's what I want to do. So my plans were not God's plans. However, I uh, went to school, came back here to do my studies, but I never, never got to have a preaching career. And I was very bitter about that, and I have very many times complained to the Lord, and I've turned my back on Him in my earlier days and said, Lord, how can that be wrong? I thought I was asking you for the right thing. But you know, today as I stand before you, I am extremely happy and content in my life as to what the Lord did to me. But it took me some time. You know, today I don't preach uh, in a sophisticated congregation such as this where, you know, you, you have to be very, very careful. But I go to Africa and I preach under the trees. You know, there is an Adventist logo sign up on the main highway and you follow that you'll, you'll walk to a church, but it's only under a tree. And you stand there with an umbrella and preach. And I preach in churches. I've, you know, there was a church that I was preaching. They said they're building this church building for the last 15 years and the church walls come only up to this high. They don't have any money. And every time they get some time and money, they mix the clay themselves and they bake in front of the church and then the church members come together and then they put another row of brick and that's their congregation. There were weeds, plants, church, banana trees growing inside and we worship in there. I go to India and I preach. Especially in a special area in South India where you go and say the name of Jesus, you will come out without hands or legs. And that's real today, even today. Hindu fundamentals. And there are thousands of people, my dear brothers and sisters, still have not heard the name of Jesus. And I was there last week, and this church planting program that we did for the last eight years has yielded to five established congregations and with over 1,200 members. And it's still growing. But it is always a joy to be home in this environment with there is nothing we lack and Everything we have, beautiful school, beautiful children, beautiful talents, beautiful teachers, and everything all around us. You know, when Pastor Chad started to preach on the book of uh, Genesis, I was in such a great joy. I love this book. And I listened to every sermon that was preached from this book, no matter where I was in the world, and I tuned in, and it was nothing but a mere blessing. And if you have missed 
It's all online, I think, and you can go back and play it over and over again. Just to go back to the Word and have a little bit of a summary on the book of Genesis. You know, this journey, it, the beginning of life, the book of Genesis captures everything for us. The most important book ever written, if there should be one, and that ought to be the book of Genesis. This book is the book that impacts the rest of the books of the Bible. And if you want to know the Christian theology correctly and understand all doctrines, we got to get Genesis right. Dr. Dukan, our Adventist uh, professor in Andrews University, writes, without the book of Genesis, Bible would be incomplete, period. Though primarily the book of Genesis deals with the beginning, there is also, if you look carefully, there are some hints about the end of human history and regaining this paradise that we once lost. Now for us today as Seventh-day Adventists, Book of Genesis, if you would just open and just read just the titles of the each chapter, you know, there is that creation that is so important to us. Six days, literal creation, and then this invisible creation that God made on this seventh day that is not tangible, something that we don't feel, something we don't touch, but God made a very special day that is so unique to you and to me, and hence we are here. He hallowed it, he blessed it, and he sanctified it, and he said, partake of this week after week and remember me. And it all starts in the book of Genesis. The Trinity in action, the Holy Spirit moving upon the face of the earth. The fall of man and the great controversy, the beginning of good and evil. The law of God, the genealogy. The practice of tithing. The practice of the plant-based diet. And the difference between clean and unclean animals. The attributes of God and the many different phases of God. And all this beautiful children's story that we hear of Moses and others from Bible. It's all packed and loaded in this one book, Genesis. And this book and this theme of the gospel of Jesus Christ, a merciful God, a loving God, runs all through the books of the Bible, all the way up to Revelation until this earth is made new. Today for our study, we turn our Bibles to the last uh, chapter, but it is the beginning of the study of the Word of God. It is not the end. Genesis chapter 50, if you have your Bibles with you, I request you to turn with me to the book of uh, Genesis chapter 50. More than ever before, in a time such as this, where we are disturbed with the devastating, destructive, unfair evil all surrounded around us. Genesis chapter 50 because become, brings us comfort and confidence and presents a God to us like we have never seen before to each one of us one more time. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you are rich or poor, young or old, big or small. Genesis chapter 50 speaks to each and every one of us. God through his infinite wisdom, <clears throat> has preserved this story that can bring comfort and courage to each one of us, even in the most unfair 
situations of life and I thank God for that. Genesis chapter 50, before we go to Genesis chapter 50, we read chapter 49. There was an excellent sermon preached last week about Simon and Levi, how Levi, though he was blessed to be so as a curse, but God reversed the life of Levi. And that's the God we see all through Genesis in the book, of each chapter of this book. God who reverses the situation. And Joseph blesses all his sons, verse 33. And when Joseph had finished blessing them, he drew his feet up into the bed and breathed his last. Perhaps he was sitting and blessing the children, but now he folds it up. You can see the picture that he just peacefully, peacefully, with all his children gathered around, he passes away. But Joseph's peacefully closing his eyes and passing away was not peaceful for the brothers. Fear starts to intrude. Now that the father is gone, they thought this will be the time that Joseph will take his vengeance back. Maybe he was holding it back because the father was alive. You know how it goes in some family structure. Genesis 50 verse 1. Then Joseph fell on his father's face. A prince falling. There are four key words. He falls on his father's face. And then he weeps again. We see Joseph weeping one or two times in this chapter. And then he kisses his dead father. And then he commands the Egyptian physicians to embalm. And he follows the embalming, but not the rituals or the religious practices of the Egyptians. But he preserves the body of the father because he had plans for his father's dead body. You know, Joseph continues to be wise. 40 days for embalming, 70 days of Egyptian mourning, and then later in the Bible you also see that they mourned another extra seven days. These numbers in Bible, 40, 77, runs through. Joseph then tactfully uses the people in the, in the palace, and then he brings the message to the Pharaoh. You know, Joseph did not want to go there himself. Perhaps he was in a close proximity with the dead, and uh, it would defile the Pharaoh, so he stayed back. Or maybe he didn't shave. Maybe he was in, uh, in his mourning clothes and he was not appropriately dressed to go see the Pharaoh. No telling what it may be, but he was tactful. And the wisdom of the Lord was continuing in Joseph's life. So he stayed back and sent the request of the father so that his body and he would go to Canaan and bury him. Verse 6, and Pharaoh says, go up and bury your father as he made you swear. But one thing the Pharaoh wants to make sure that Joseph will come back and take care of his, his responsibilities in Egypt. From the Egyptian's perspective, what Joseph was asking the Pharaoh was something that was not acceptable. Egyptians buried their dead in the West with the hope of an eternal life. But Joseph asked for Jacob's body with a little bit of a contradiction of their faith and belief that he wanted to go east to Canaan to bury. But Joseph found a way to work through all these things. And he made sure he got 
what his father wanted for him to do. The Bible goes on to say that uh, Joseph, his brothers, and the Egyptians, physicians all went and his burial service was done according to the plans. Coming down to verse 14. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers, and all who went up with him to bury his father. You see, coming back to Egypt again brought in more chaos and confusion to the brothers. Now that the father's rituals and the ceremonies are all over, brothers started to worry more and more. Now the brothers started to take comfort in the dying words of the father. Now the brothers started to hold a very uh, religious uh, resonance to, to appeal to Joseph. And they wanted to bring back the memory of Joseph and the father and the God of his father and Jacob's father. And then they say to his brothers, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespasses of your brothers and their sins, for they did evil. Now, please forgive the trespasses of the servant of the Lord God, your father. And Joseph listens to these brothers one more time. With the evoking of the memory of his father and the God of his father, the Bible says, Joseph wept one more time. He just could not hold it. He wept with his brothers again. You see, let's, let's re rewind this story a little bit. You know, children, I know you heard this story many, many times. And if you get these biblical stories, the stories that are in Genesis, this will be a strong foundation for you no matter what you face in life that you will not depart from God. And I'm glad you're going to preach on that next week. It is stories such as this that captivates our mind and keeps us going. <clears throat> you know, Joseph's life, when he was an angster, all he had was a dream, just a dream. And, and when he shared his dream, just like us do, we do, you know, we talk about our dreams, it, he became an object of hatred. That don't seem right. Just because you shared your dream, dreams with your brothers and friends that you hate, hatred starts to sit in. Just not hatred, but there was violence and his own brothers hated him and plotted to destroy him. And adding to it was that he was his father's favorite. And that coat, that coat of many colors was a reminder every day that we hate you. Life was not fair for Joseph. You know, Joseph lost his mother way early in his life. No child should ever lose a parent. Neither should a parent should ever lose a child. That's in a real world. That's in a perfect world. Unfortunately, we are not. But Joseph had to deal with that, losing his mother. And Jacob had to lose his loving wife. And they had to deal with that. The family had to deal with all of those. And Joseph did not deserve to be thrown in the bottom of the food. But actually, he went there to meet and greet and feed the brothers. That was not fair to be paid back, to be thrown in the bottom of the pit. And do you think it was fair to be sold for no reason without your choice and to be dragged on the dusts of the Ismailites' camel and you're now sold as a slave 
and you have no rights anymore. You're not a human being anymore. You do what I say. That was not fair. You know, upon arriving in, e in Egypt, it, it looked like uh, Joseph was getting into more trouble. His master's wife plotted him. And that took him to prison. And then it looked like he was planning for a career in prison. Things looked grim and they also looked so unfair for Joseph. There was no way out. You know, it is in times such as this and in stories such as this, in the quietness of a day like this, we could open our hearts and minds and say, yeah, I see it. It is in times such as this that we say, God, have you forgotten me? God, if you are a good God, why do you cause this evil to happen upon me? And then we look upon God and say, God, where are you? I need you now. Why have you forsaken me? And that question starts to churn and dwell in our head. And then we go all the way to the point where we come and say, life is not fair. God, you are not fair. Because we don't know where else to go with that. Looking at the things that are happening around the world we live in and the things that are happening in our own lives, it is so easy to come to a conclusion and say that life is not fair and God is indeed not fair. You know, this morning I thank God for this inspired story, this inspired word of God that even speaks to the deepest and the darkest emotions of life. Amen. Doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter how dark it is. It doesn't matter how deep and it doesn't matter how much you may think that no one understands what you're going through. There is something for us in here. Look at the life of Job. Job was a man who had everything for him and, and suddenly just about everything got pulled out of him from away from him. He was a helpless victim. The devil and God made a deal and started to act on his life. Now how fair is that? 7,000 sheep was destroyed overnight. 3,000 camels were taken. All his ox, all his donkeys, all his servants, his seven sons and three daughters and his wife, all of them were taken away, snatched away, just like that. Not only that, now he's induced with severe physical pain, with boils and pus oozing out, sitting on a pile of ash and scratching himself. It did not look good for Job, did it? What about Abraham? 
Yeah, Abraham was called. He had everything going for him. God had already blessed him. He had it. But you know, sometimes God calls and, and we just don't know why. And God calls him, doesn't tell him where, where to go. And he says, I'm taking you to an unknown place. Welcome to God's calling. Go where I say you go. Get thee out. That's the quote. Get thee out. There was no future. He was separated from his family and, and, and where he was in his comfort zone. And then, you know, it didn't make no sense for Abraham. Lord, I thought you're good to me. Why are you taking me out to the deserts? You know, as his life moved on, he was trying to hang on regardless of his uh, issues between Sarah and Hagar at home. And he was trying to keep his, uh, his anticipation alive with the promise of the Lord and the fulfillment of the promised son Isaac. But then there comes that same voice that has been speaking to him for years. And that voice tells him, Abraham, take thy only son Isaac to the Mount Moriah and offer him a burnt sacrifice. Really? All this for this? Just like that? Done? What a journey. What a life. What a faith. You know, wasn't it good enough that Abraham listened and obeyed and packed up and started his journey and God could have said, good job, Abraham, go back home? Abraham didn't pass that test at that point. Every step of the way, Abraham could have questioned God's fairness and questioned where is God climbing up on that mount. Then he goes up there and he builds the altar. And then he, he had to answer Isaac's questions every step of the way. Lord, where is the sacrifice? And Abraham kept saying what? The Lord will provide. And then he ties up Isaac, his only son, where his future, God's future, God's plan is all there in this one body. And then he has to tie it all up, hands and legs together, put him up on the altar. And the Bible says Abraham then drew his knife, stretched his hand up. Wow. And it was over. It was almost over. Just a few seconds. And then the Lord appears. The angel of the Lord appears and said, Abraham, lay not thy son upon thee. Son. You know, when I read stories such as this, it is so easy to ask the Lord, why? John the Baptist, he didn't have it any easy for being a forerunner, for dressing up different, for eating different, for living a, a life of a called man and, and, and a foreigner for Jesus. At the end, only for his head to be served on a tray to the king. Moses, Paul for becoming a Christian. Why? That same question has been echoing this universe for many, many years. Why, Lord, why? And I'm sure that question has come in your mind and into my mind many times saying, why? Shouldn't there be a better or a better way 
for God to test our faith and educate us? Is suffering the only way that God wants to speak to us? But I tell you, my friends, as long as we face our life difficulties and challenges through our carnal flesh and energy, we will always consider God's leadings and guidance as suffering. Because the devil wants us always to remain carnal, take matters into our hands and deal with our flesh and with our own strength. And he wants us to think that God is not fair in his dealings and that life is unfair. And then through his precise maneuver and through his invisible host of demons that he has, he waits and waits until we are in a vulnerable stage and he wants to strike us time and time again for us to say that God is not fair in life is not fair. Genesis chapter 50 verse 20. Now Joseph looks at his pathetic brothers. Helpless. Very vulnerable. And then Joseph utters this profound phrase that was not just for his brothers but for us to hear it one more time today. He says, my brothers, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for us, you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Amen. You see, Joseph was able to tell his brothers that not only he is okay, not only that he is good, but he was also able to say that God is indeed a good God. And that's the introduction we get in the book of Genesis about God, a good God. But God meant it for good. The story of Joseph reminds us one more time, regardless of how rampant our life situations may be, Joseph's story reminds us that God is indeed a good God. The story of Joseph tells us one more time that our God is a God who can reverse things for us. You may think it is impossible and you may think that there is no way out. But just like the sermon we heard last week about the life of Levi, God can reverse any situation. God can even reverse his own covenant. God can reverse any suffering into a blessing. And that is the life of Joseph. Doesn't matter how evil it may look. God can take that evil and reverse and bless and modify and turn it around to be good. You meant it for evil, 
but God meant it for good. You know, Joseph's words are not just words of assurance for his brothers, but it was the words of assurance for the entire nation of Hebrew at that time. It was not just for the Hebrews, but these words are etched in the Bible for eternity for you and me to know that we serve a good God. The Bible is fascinating in this aspect. You can flip many stories, you can flip many, many lessons from Bible, but here and there you will find these beautiful passages where you come, but God, then God, and the Lord God of hosts. And then you'll also hear phrases like, so God. You see, every time you come to those passages where God changes his mind and pours out his mercy, and he brings in hope, and he brings in encouragement, and he brings in new life, and opens the door that was closed for many years. But God. And then God. That is our God. But God is good. See, I often wonder, how was it possible for Joseph to say these things? Now, it's easy to preach. It's another thing to live. It's one thing to hear. It's another thing to practice every day when we face with it. How did, how did, how did Joseph arrive there? Now, how could Job say that, you know, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked will I depart? How, how could he say that? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Wow. And how could Abraham continually say the Lord will provide? You see, my friends, as we look into this closely, and as I get older, and look into this subject over and over again, I understand and I see that there is the enabling power of the Holy Spirit fully saturated in the lives of these individuals. That regardless of the circumstances that may come around them, they try to elevate their life from their carnal state to a spiritual state and help the Holy Spirit take hold of their life and open the doors for them. I also found in, the, in, a, in a devotional book that I'm reading recently, from a retired pastor, a German pastor, Adventist pastor. His name is Helmut Hulbel. He wrote a book on Steps on Personal Revival, on receiving the Holy Spirit. An awesome book. It has changed my life. I heard this sermon from Pastor Nelson, Dwight Nelson at Andrews. A good reading, a very, very good reading. 
He writes in his book about the spirit of prophecy. And he takes this quote and he expands it a little bit. And he says, how did this, how were they able to do these things? And how could the early reformers face their death? And specifically, he talks about Huss and Jerome. And I want to read this quote to you and, and see what the Holy Spirit does. Sometimes we may not always see the result but here's what the Holy Spirit did to Huss and Jerome. He writes, both Huss and Jerome bore themselves with content mind when their last hour approached. They prepared for the fire as if they were going to a marriage feast. Wow. They uttered no cry of pain. When the flames rose, they began to sing hymns. And scarce could the vehemence of the fire stop them from singing. Amazing what the Holy Spirit can do to help us endure life's circumstances and life's unfairness. When you receive the Spirit, the Bible says, He will give you all things. Amazing promise. You see, I've never been in a fiery furnace, but I've had my own share of fairness, unfairness in life. You know, from the fact that I arrived to this country, I had a, before I could even enter the country, I had a deportation letter waiting for me. It didn't start well. And my desire was to go to school, as I said earlier, and I was not accepted in few schools, but then finally, Howard Divinity School gave me an admission. Because I told them I'm a self-supporting student, and self-supporting students are not much welcome. Sponsored students are welcome to better. <laughs> I had work. I took up a lot of odd jobs, minimum wage, whatever it may be, but I wanted to study, go to school. There was very little resource left. And I wanted to study. And I went to school. So there was this one day, we were all seated. It was our midterm exam. And the teacher passes the questions and we start to write. But my professor stops us and zooms right into me and says, Richard, you need to drop this class. Just like that. And you, I, I don't think you are made for this school, this program. And he did not stop. He just went on. I didn't know where to put my face. Every time I think about this story, it's like almost it happened to me yesterday. And he said, I will let you write the test, but I'm not going to read until and unless you come to my office and see me. I said to myself, Lord, this man don't know me at all. I don't know what is there for me to see him. Well, I'll see. So I went up to a thrift store, got myself a nice clean white shirt for a dollar or two, and then a nice tie, and I dressed up myself. That Wednesday afternoon, I went up to his office and I saw him smiling at me. And I said, 
Wow, that's unusual. And he asked me to sit with him and he started to interact and he said, uh, though I told you I will not read your paper, I read your paper and you have a very good score and as a matter of fact, you taught the class. Who are you? Tell me more about you. Oh, that's all I needed. <laughs> I could tell him my whole life. Well, see, after a week, the semester break was over. The class resumed, and then the first day of class, you know, this professor was really sorry for what he did. And he took time to apologize in front of the whole class. And he went on that he was wrong. And I was thankful for that. But I was even thankful for something that was even bigger and much more because every one of them in that classroom was already pastors. They were already, they had their own congregation in the metro area. They were already working for us. I was one of the youngest sitting there. And so now I had more friends in the classroom. And they started to talk to me. And they started to invite me to their church and say, could you come and share your story with us? And it didn't end there. They collected love offering for me. And my tuition was paid and I was so happy. <laughs> you see, but my friends, not, not all life's situations are there for us to see a good ending. And fortunately, there are many Many situations just goes and the life ends and it looks like as if we never come to the point where we can acknowledge God and say God is good. But you see that's why we as Christians we not only look for an answer right here, right now, but we have this hope. And I'm reminded of this beautiful, beautiful story that has strengthened me all through my years of struggles that kept me going, facing the unfairness of life, is the story that comes from a missionary, Samuel Morrison, who was a missionary in Africa for 32 years. And upon his return back on the same ship, there was President Roosevelt. And when President Roosevelt and Samuel Morrison arrived in the New York Harbor, when they put the gangway down, there were music and band and, and balloons and all kinds of welcome for President Roosevelt, says history. But then when Samuel Morrison and his humble wife walked out of that same cruise liner, they came up to the harbor. There was not even one soul calling his name and saying, welcome home. The story says that Samuel Morrison took this to heart and he complained to the Lord. Lord, I served you 32 years. I gave everything. I sacrificed it all for you. And I've gone through it all. But there is not even one person to call my name. The story says the Lord quickly spoke to Samuel Morrison. And he said, my son, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. On that day when you come home, I will have thousands and hundreds of angels standing there and shouting for you saying, welcome home. And that is the hope that we have. Life on this side of Jordan may not be fair. 
but we know that we serve a good God. The book of Genesis concludes beautifully and is worth taking a minute. Genesis chapter 50 ends by saying that at the good old age of 110, Joseph dies. Joseph dies, but there is no record of a grave. His body was put in a, in a coffin. The book of Genesis ends without a grave. But with the prospective of a promised land, of a future. Beyond the mosaic hope, this hope of the future is the hope of the universe. That you and me have the same hope of this journey back to Eden. Because there is no grave for us here on earth. Until then, until then, may we remember these words of Joseph. That we get this hope as never before to face the circumstances of life and say, my brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. If you take your connection cards there, there is a little section where you can uh, respond to the message from today. It is not necessary for you to return this, but it will be nice if you can put it back in. But if you feel that you are surrounded by or faced with unfairness of life, there is a little box there that you can promise yourself today by saying that, Lord, I want to get to know this good God even better. Are you harboring anger towards God and feeling that He is unfair? If so, you can check the box and reassure your promise today saying that I want the Holy Spirit to help me get out of this feeling. And that same Holy Spirit that helped our forefathers can help us. And there is the last question. Is it so difficult for you to accept or offer forgiveness? As we conclude the book of Genesis in the life of Joseph. And if we serve a good God, may goodness come out of us by offering forgiveness to one another. And if you need prayers, there is a box. And if there is anything else that you want to write, the deacons will be happy to collect them. As we close, I want to read this beautiful passage to conclude. First Peter, chapter 5. Humble yourself. Was a 6 to 11. Therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you in due time, cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around you like a lion, a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. And now the God of grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you to make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power 
and glory forever and ever. Amen.